0: This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience, one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, June 12th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. Fools, I'm going to start this show with a question. How many times have you heard about the retail apocalypse in recent years, including some of the more dire predictions for even the largest and brick and mortar chains out there? I know we've talked about this on the show before. But today we're going to check in on department stores because those uh, that part of retail comes to mind for a lot of people as kind of the picture perfect example of a business model that has fallen prey to this retail apocalypse. But some department stores are defying the naysayers with incredible share price gains recently. So I'm listening the I'm enlisting the help of senior Motley Fool contributor Adam Levine Weinberg to cover the latest developments in the space. And he joins us via Skype from Sacramento, California. Hey Adam, great to have you back on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So Really glad to uh, that you could hop on today with us and basically put into perspective what the management teams at these companies are doing to turn around their businesses and win over investors to the point that their stocks are pretty much trouncing the S&P 500 so far in 2018. And it's really not even close. The broad market is up about 3.4% year-to-date. Shares of Macy's, Kohl's, and Dillard's have gained between 40% and 55% approximately over that same period. So just in the past month, all three companies have seen their shares rise about 30%. Uh, We'll talk about each company individually. um, But to kick us off, Adam, could you give us sort of the elevator pitch in terms of what's going on in the sector that has the market rallying behind these companies?
1: Sure. So if you look at these companies just going back about a year all uh, all three stocks have more or less doubled in that time and so if you want to try to understand why the first and most important reason is simply that these stocks were selling at fire sale prices about a year ago that was kind of the peak of investors concerns about the retail apocalypse and particularly how that would affect these department store names. Uh, Macy's especially comes to mind. But to some extent, Kohl's and Dillard's also fell into that group. You had uh, about a year ago, declining gross margins, um, which was pressuring profitability at these companies, uh, weak sales trends. All three were posting pretty uh, pretty steady comp sales declines through most of 2015, 2016, and the first half of 2017. And so all three companies were priced as if they were not going out of business immediately, but heading in that direction um, you know towards a you know pretty dramatic decline in profitability that was really never going to return to previous levels. Mm-hmm. And over the past year, uh, that bearish thesis has there's been some holes poked into it. And most notably you've seen recovery in sales trends and also in earnings trends for all of these companies. And that's led to a really big change in the valuation where uh, some of the stock price increases have been driven by higher earnings estimates, but some have also been driven by uh, multiple expansions, so investors are now valuing those earnings at a higher rate because they seem to be a little more sustainable than they might have seemed just a year ago. Um, if we look at the sales trends in particular, because that's, um, at the end of the day, one of the most important things, if you have declining comp sales uh, that never recover, Uh, It's not going to be good. There's no way that you can really maintain your earnings power in that type of situation. So, Kohl's uh, finally got back to comp sales growth in the third quarter of 2017 with a tiny 0.1% increase. Um, and That led to a little bit of investor optimism but it was really the fourth quarter when Kohl's posted an incredible 6.3% comp sales increase that investors really started to get excited, and that drove this huge increase in the stock price from around $50 up to where it's now uh, approaching $80. Um, Kohl's continued that uh, strong trajectory last quarter, the first quarter of 2018, with a 3.6% comp sales increase. Turning to Macy's, um, Macy's was a little uh, had a, a longer slump, took a little bit longer to get growing again. And so, in the fourth quarter of last year, when Kohl's put up this amazing growth, uh, Macy's did manage to get back to comp sales growth, but it was only a 1.4% increase. So, modest, um, enough to lead to a a decent improvement in profitability, but not driving the incredible gains you saw at Kohl's. However, last quarter, the first quarter of 2018, uh, Macy's posted a 4.2% comp sales increase. Uh, And so, that really turned things around in investors' minds to uh, make it look like Macy's also had this potential to have a a real serious and sustainable turnaround, just like Kohl's. Sure. And then, lastly, Dillard's is a, a smaller company. Yes. Um, most of their stores are in the south. Uh, it's got about a quarter of the revenue of of Macy's. Um. And but Dillard's has also been seeing a bit of a turnaround with a three percent comp sales increase in the fourth quarter last year, and then a two percent increase in the first quarter of 2018. Um. It's important to note for all of these companies where they've seen really good comp sales growth in the last quarter in particular, that um, due to a quirk of the retail calendar, um, these all these companies have fiscal years that are not lined up with the calendar year. And so the way that the calendar lines up in 2018, it's helping them out in the first quarter and will also help them a bit in the second quarter, just based on the timing of holidays. So that's probably added about two or three percentage points to their comp sales growth in the first quarter. And so without that, the numbers still look okay, but not nearly as good. So Kohl's would have been up you know, maybe 1% or less. Macy's up a little more than 1%, somewhere between 1% and 2%. Um, Dillard's might have been flattish. Uh, so definitely an improvement still relative to where they were about a year ago, but maybe not quite as impressive as it seemed to uh, just from reading the top line numbers.
0: Okay, well let's get into some of the details then for each of these companies and I appreciate the overview just so listeners have an idea of what is going on, you know what ultimately did help to drive uh, the rallies that we've seen. But let's look at Macy's for example. So I was going through the earnings call, um, uh, the comments from management, and I saw that you know Macy's, uh, their team spent a lot of time, for example, uh, talking about the progress that they're making with the company's five strategic initiatives. So those include uh, their Star Rewards loyalty program. They launched that in October, uh, and it seems like they're expanding that to more customers, including those who don't have a Macy's credit card. Uh, they have the growth of the backstage concept. Um, I think they have. 100 of those uh, backstage concepts opening in Macy's stores in fiscal 2018, and they're making their way to uh, high end malls, also to the West Coast for the first time. There's the vendor direct expansion, uh, which is basically items purchased online from Macy's website being shipped directly from the vendor to customers. Their omni channel efforts uh, that's number four we've seen elsewhere. Um, the the importance of the omnichannel. But here, uh, it's things like buy online, pick up store, buy online, ship to store. They're expecting those things to be available in every location by August. And then number five, uh, there's Growth50. And this is one that I thought was really interesting, where basically management has taken the most promising initiatives that they tested in 2017, and they've rolled those out to 50 test locations so that later this year, they have data information from uh, those test locations on how co- customers respond to various things. So ultimately, they're hoping to find a new model that the company can scale going forward. Um, beyond the, these strategic initiatives, and uh, I know there's a lot of other efforts that management discussed during the call. Is there anything that stands out to you uh, in terms of the past quarter, the past six months, that uh, you think is really helping, uh, is really promising? long-term for the company?
1: Yeah, so there's a few things that I would highlight. Um, the first is that change in the loyalty program that you mentioned. Yes. Or it's really a series of changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was something where the loyalty program had been the same for a long time. And they the, the management team realized that it was really more of a rewards program than a loyalty program. You know, you shop, you got coupons, you could come back and shop again, get a little discount. Uh, it didn't actually encourage people to be loyal, it didn't have that kind of differentiation where the more money you spent with Macy's, you would see a big increase in the value you get. And so they changed the program. I'm sure that there will be other tweaks coming up in the future as they uh, see how customers react. But they rolled out the first iteration last fall. It seems to be working so far. Some of the things that they've added is that um, customers who are spending more money with them can now get um, free shipping on all of their e-commerce purchases without having to hit that minimum that's required for uh, for a, a typical customer. Sure. So that encourages those people who like shopping. It makes to shop there more. Um, if you get up to a certain level of spending, you'll get 5% back in rewards. That's you know similar to stuff we've seen at Target um, with their credit card where it has a 5% reward built in. Uh, and so there's various initiatives like that. Um, I won't go through all of them, but the, the key really strategically is that They want to make sure that people who are spending more are being rewarded for that and being incentivized to spend even more money at the store. Because Macy's realized a year ago they have this huge base of customers. They have huge uh, recognition. People know what Macy's is, uh, and they want to go from being familiar to being people's favorite store, Uh, getting people to to already shop there a little bit, shop there more, people who shop there a lot, uh, to – to add even more um, to their baskets at Macy's, and so that's been quite, um, you know, quite successful so far. And generally speaking, with these loyalty changes, uh, it takes a while for them to really gain steam as customers begin to understand the changes and modify their behavior. So I think that you could see over the next twelve months even more gains uh, coming from that loyalty change. The second big thing is the backstage rollout that you talked about. So coming into this year, Macy's had uh, backstage uh, stores in about 50 of its locations, of its full line locations. And it's found over the past uh, year or so that those locations have about 7% increase in sales relative to uh, a control group that are similar stores that didn't get backstage. So that's a pretty good indication that uh, in addition to being a more productive use of some store space, that the backstage stores are also, uh, they're encouraging people to come back more often because as an off price concept, they have a rotating uh, merchandise selection, which changes frequently. And so that gives customers an incentive to come back frequently to see what's new. Uh, Whereas a typical department store arrangement might only change every three months. And so that's been pretty successful for them. And so Basis is going to be rolling that out to another hundred stores this year. So roughly tripling the footprint. And, uh, the Macy's CEO recently stated that uh, in an ideal world, he'd like to have backstage in every single store eventually. Um, and so that would be quadrupling again from where Macy's expects to be at the end of this year. And uh, you know, when you roll out a seven percentage point sales lift across the entire chain, that could have a really uh, pretty significant impact on both sales and on profitability. So I would say that those are really the two most important in terms of um, initiatives that could really have a long-term positive impact. On Macy's sales and earnings.
0: Okay, and a few other things that I just like to call out for listeners too. Um, They mentioned something. uh, This is this deal is the acquisition of Story. So this is kind of a unique New York-based concept store. Um, The the big draw, I guess, for this store is that it gets a facelift essentially every six to eight weeks. And uh, Story's founder and CEO is now becoming Macy's brand experience officer. So. Take that on one end, and then also something else that I saw that management spoke to was how company is planning to roll out mobile checkout uh, to every store by the end of the year. So basically, what this allows a customer to do is scan an item in the store with the Macy's app. They can pay on the app, and then leave um, after getting, for example, the security tags removed from apparel. Um, and the idea is to make this experience a little bit smoother. But combine, I, I just see. Uh, these initiatives, uh, like those two, as being you know just this ongoing push from uh, the management team to kind of experiment and uh, adopt what I would consider to be more leading edge ideas in retail to make the experience uh, stickier and more. Uh, uh, and to reduce the friction for a customer to close a sale uh, when they are shopping with the company, and combined, I think going forward with an initiative like Growth Fifty, you know, you have these stores that are supposed to be representative of the company's many other locations. They give, they end up giving management a lot of clues as to how uh, they need to package. Um, the, the shopping experience, and whether that means more curated product assortments, uh, more localized marketing, or investing in the store buildings and facilities in certain ways. Um, just uh, a, a bit of a roadmap for the company going forward. But I do want to move on, because uh, what we're seeing at Kohl's, too, uh, for the second department store that we're looking at here, um, the, this was their third consecutive quarter of growing comparable sales, and if you read through management comments again, a lot of the initiatives that they mentioned overlap with or echo what we've discussed uh, with Macy's. You know, there's that focus on e-commerce, specifically mobile. Uh, they said that makes up 70% of the digital traffic, about half of online sales, and stores apparently fulfilled 30% of digital orders in the first quarter, so that's up five percentage points from the prior year. And they also talk about uh, initiatives like buy online, ship to store. So that came up as a traffic driver and the uh, an increase essentially to the number of offerings that customers can order and ultimately pick up at Kohl's locations. Uh, is there anything else... Uh, on Coles' front that really jumped out to you? Um, I know they've announced in the past year pretty unconventional partnerships with Amazon, for example, and Aldi. And A lot of people are looking at that, kind of scratching their heads, like, is this really the path forward? But so far, management seems pretty happy with results. Uh, They appear encouraging. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on uh, those efforts and anything else that's really jumped out to you.
1: Yeah. The Kohl's management team has really said that the primary focus has to be on driving traffic. And even by comparison to Macy's, Kohl's really has been quite successful, much more successful in that regard than Macy's. Uh, the idea here is that the more people you have coming into the store, the more, more purchases will be made. And that really is the driver of econ- of this in-store economics, um, you know, making that in-store business model work. And so, what you've seen from Kohl's is uh, a focus on different initiatives. You know, how can we get more people to come into the store? So, you know, the, the what's grabbed the most headlines have been these partnerships. So, with Amazon, in uh, some test locations in Chicago and Los Angeles, Kohl's began accepting returns for Amazon. So, you you know, buy something from Amazon.com comes, you don't want it for some reason. Instead of having to go through the whole return shipping process, which can be cumbersome, or in some cases, you have to pay for the return shipping, you can if you live in Chicago or Los Angeles, you can go into a cola store. They'll take it from you. You don't have to deal with boxing it up. Really convenient for customers. Um, To some observers, they say, well, isn't this just going to make people want to shop even more on Amazon because you've just made it more convenient for them? That might be true, but more people are shopping with Amazon, no matter what Kohl's does. Yeah. And so what this means is that now you've got a steady flow of traffic of Amazon customers walking into Kohl's stores. Once they're there, it's pretty convenient to go pick something up if you realize, oh, I need underwear, oh, I need a new pair of shoes, and Kohl's has all of that um, right there. So that's been a really interesting uh, idea, and it seems to be pretty successful to the point where Kohl's wants to roll that out further, and it seems like Amazon is also interested in doing that. Uh, a, a second big thing for Kohl's was this uh, Aldi partnership, which is really just scratching the surface. Where they're uh, subdividing a few of their stores uh, to put Aldi grocery stores next door. The idea there is grocery stores get lots of traffic. People are going there you know, weekly or multiple times a week. And if Kohl's doesn't actually need all of the retail space it has, uh, shrinking the store doesn't really have any downside. And in fact, in many stores, they've uh, change the fixtures that they use to make the store um, appear like it's smaller, uh, because they realized they were they had these giant stores where they were putting inventory in just to make the store look full, and they didn't really need that much inventory based on the demand they were seeing. So Kohl's has been trying to reduce inventory, use different fixtures, but it really means that in about half their stores, Kohl's has an opportunity to shrink by uh, 20,000 square feet or so Uh, or even 30,000 square feet, and uh, really have a more optimal store size. And that creates room to bring in another tenant where, one, they'll have a a rent check coming in every month, which obviously is good for the bottom line. But two, they're hoping that some of those people who are shopping next door at Aldi or another tenant that they might bring in will walk next door and go to Kohl's. So both of those moves really designed to, uh, to bring more traffic in. And Aside from those high profile partnerships, I think we should also mention uh, some of the product partnerships that Coles has been um, investing in. So, uh, the most notable one was bringing Under Armour into the store last year. That's really helped them build up this uh, more credibility in this wellness initiative that they have. And so, with Lots of products from Under Armour, um, Nike, Adidas, all of these brands that are uh, into athletics and wellness. That's uh, helping Kohl's bring more traffic in, uh, maybe a consumer that's not previously been a a regular Kohl's customer. And some of the other things that we've heard about just even very recently in the last month uh, are new um, shops from Lego and FAO Schwarz that are coming in in time for the holiday season to uh, build up toys toys as a business uh, line for Kohl's. And all of these brands, obviously, are, are looking for new distribution, particularly with Toys R Us uh, about to close the last of its stores in the U.S.
0: Yeah. So, the, the, yeah, the, I'd say uh, you know, the really interesting aspect of this, in terms of that, uh, the carve-outs that Kohl's is leaving for partners like Aldi and Amazon, um, it's just the fact that we've seen this trend where, um, to increase foot traffic... It is clear that a lot of these larger brick and mortar operations—they have a lot more square footage, like you said—that they really need to serve in-store shoppers. And it's interesting how um, you see other big retailers like Target too, in terms of trying to get into more urban areas, uh, urban markets. They are also shrinking their footprints and realizing that that might be the path forward for a lot of their locations. And last thing I'll mention too, um, in terms of some of the progress they've seen, both Macy's and Kohl's mentioned during their calls that their digital growth was in the double digits. I think for Kohl's, specifically, right around twenty percent. And the standout, I think, for Kohl's uh, in terms of how they've approached this, that, you know, growing digital business as uh, as important as that is, and how every co- retailer out there is is thinking about how they're investing in that channel, um, it's usually a drag on profitability because of the increased costs associated with order fulfillment. Um, but they uh, credit things like buy online, pick up in store, and, to, and also additional investments that they've made in their e-commerce fulfillment centers. And As a result of those things, their gross margin has actually managed to expand, uh, during the first quarter at least. The, even with this growth in digital. So that's definitely a good sign, I think. And so uh, the management management team did also speak to a little bit of the changes to their loyalty program and things like that. But I do want to move on uh, just so we have a little bit time to talk about the, the smallest of the three, uh, which is Dillard's, and any specific initiatives that you wanted to call out um, that management has been really focused on recently.
1: Yeah, Dillard's uh, is a bit of an enigma, the company is still uh, largely owned by the founding family, the Dillard family. Uh, they hold all of the senior management roles at the company other than CFO, and they don't hold earnings calls. They don't have investor conferences or presentations. They basically don't tell investors anything other than the quarterly reports that they're required to file. So it's a little hard to understand what they're uh, what they're doing when you read through a quarterly earnings release for Dillard. It doesn't talk a lot about initiatives that they're doing to try to drive traffic. Mm -hmm. And if you dig deeper and look at their financials, uh, this is a company that's really seriously over the past decade, really, cut back on their capital spending. So whereas Kohl's and Macy's are spending about $700 million and a billion dollars, respectively, each year on CapEx, with a lot of that money going towards technology, uh, Dillard's is spending between $100 million and $150 million a year. Now, to be fair, they do have a smaller store network, so that does cut down on the cost they need for reinvestment. Uh, that said, with a lot of these technology investments, that you know, there's not much change in what it costs to build out the same capabilities um, just based on what your uh, scale is. And so um, other smaller retailers that are really tech forward are spending you know, just as much money as Kohl's and Macy's to build out their technology capabilities, Dillard's. Really, just seems to be conserving, uh, you know, cash to to maximize their free cash flow, and then with the free cash flow, um, management is just buying back a huge amount of stock. So, with Dillard's, it really seems like the company is hoping for just a, a broad revival in retail sales and improving mall traffic to uh, lift the business, and. The company's not really investing a lot of money to uh, in self-help initiatives to try to fix its problems. And if you you know just digging into the first quarter numbers, it seemed like inventory was up uh, growing at a faster rate than sales, which is a little bit disconcerting because that often will put pressure on profit margins going forward. And also the the two percent comp sales increase that Doors reported uh, was slower than what you saw at Kohl's and Macy's. Even though uh, Kohl's and Macy's have more of a presence in the Northeast and Midwest where there are these really bad snowstorms that probably hurt traffic and sales of spring apparel. Meanwhile, Dillard's is almost all uh, in the south in that uh, kind of Sunbelt region. So that should have boosted Dillard's comp sales results last quarter and really didn't seem to help very much. So it's a little troubling um, what you're seeing at Dillard's right now. And it's not clear that the company really has a strategy to make a sustainable turnaround. Uh, Look, if the market does great, um, the fact that they're buying back so much stock will lift the stock price, simply because uh, even if the uh, net income is flat, that's a big boost to earnings per share. Uh, The problem is that you saw a big increase in Dillard's stock price a few years ago through this strategy. And then uh, beginning around 2015, profit margins deteriorated, deteriorated very rapidly. Uh, and uh, really, the bottom fell off from under Dillard stock, and so there's really a risk that that's going to happen again whenever the next retail downturn happens, and you know that could only be a year or two away for all we know.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I do want to consider uh, talk a little bit more about uh, outlook, and uh, you know how sustainable the progress is for some of the other uh, companies that we've talked about in terms of the rest of 2018 and beyond that. Thanks to our friends at Casper for supporting The Motley Fool and Industry Focus. You hear us emphasize on this show each week the importance of thinking long-term when it comes to your investments and finances. Well, One piece of advice I've also followed for many years now is to similarly invest in the things that keep us on the ground. I can't remember who first shared that advice with me, but your shoes, your tires, and your mattress, those are all things that will pay dividends in your life when chosen with care and a good night's sleep personally, tops the list of priorities for me. That's why I'm so glad I discovered Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its offerings to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper mattresses are designed by humans, for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of sink and just the right amount of bounce. Not to mention a breathable design that helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the whole night. And this isn't just any old mattress company. Casper offers a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience and to make the mattress shopping experience easy. Order online and their U.S.-made mattresses are delivered straight to your doorstep in a compact box. Shipping and returns are free in the U.S. and Canada. You'll spend one-third of your life sleeping, and Casper understands how important it is to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and use promo code fool at checkout. That's a $50 credit towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Adam, uh, we've talked about some of the tailwinds and the initiatives that are helping these department store stocks rally recently. Um, my last question to you on this before we move on then is do you think that this party will last? And in that case, which of these retailers do you think are in the strongest position to kind of keep up the momentum behind their rallies?
1: Uh, I think that, as I mentioned before, the Dillard's rally doesn't really seem sustainable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like it's really boosted by these stock buybacks. And when the market turns, I don't see the initiatives at Dillard's that would maintain um, the profit margin even at the lower levels where it is today. Uh, between Kohl's and Macy's, I definitely uh, I own both of those stocks. I definitely like both companies. Uh, I would say that Kohl's has more upside um, just based on its turnaround initiatives because Kohl's, uh, first, I really like the move to bring in uh, other retailers, and particularly Aldi and uh, grocery stores that drive a lot of traffic uh, into its locations. As I mentioned before, it's really just scratching the surface, has a lot of room to do that, bring in rent, and also hopefully boost sales in the, the stores next door. Um, additionally, Kohl's um, has very, very strong free cash flow. And lastly, The store locations, which are mainly not on the malls, um, are in more accessible locations, is definitely a big plus for Kohl's. Uh, As for Macy's, I really like the turnaround initiatives. I think there's more upside there. Uh, Macy's also has a huge amount of very valuable real estate uh, highlighted by its uh, flagship store in Manhattan, which is probably worth at least $3 billion. And as Macy's um, manages to monetize some more that real estate that could definitely provide an additional lift to the stock but i do see the um, prevalence of mall-based real estate as being a problem long term for macy's uh because even with all the initiatives they're doing it does seem like mall traffic will continue to decline uh at least for the next few years and so that's going to be a persistent drag that macy's will have to overcome that close is not facing
0: okay all right well uh I want to move on to our last topic for today. And, you know, we've been talking about this rally that a lot of these department stores have seen, but it's obviously not all sunshines and rainbows for this space. Uh, We're going to close out this episode by spending a few minutes catching listeners up uh, on Sears. So, shares for this company are down 90% in the past five years. Uh, CEO Eddie Lamper and his team uh, seem convinced that, you know, after messing with real estate, uh, shrinking the store base enough, uh, the company can eventually turn a profit again at some point in the future. Um, and I I understand the strategy um, in terms of doing whatever it takes to uh, pay the bills, keep the doors open. But when you couple it with some of the other moves, like the sale of some of their major brands like Craftsman and Land Zen, uh, plus Kenmore is also on the chopping block now, the end game feels. Like, it would just be a shell of a healthy retail business than an actual going concern. So, I'm curious, uh, you know, the Sears situation, uh, what is, what's the latest? And is there really uh, an ending here that you think investors would be happy with?
1: Well, I certainly don't think there's going to be a happy ending here. Mm-hmm. If you look at the first quarter numbers, Sears had another double-digit decline in comparable store sales, um, 11.9% decline. And overall, total sales fell 31%. uh, And that's because you had quite a number of store closures over the prior year. And not surprisingly, with these terrible sales numbers, you also had terrible earnings numbers, net loss of $424 million. And the adjusted earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, uh, which is the number that Sears wants you to look at. Um, because it's a little bit better, still wasn't good. It was negative $225 million, which was a little worse than it was a year a year earlier. Sears has, uh, says that they've cut $1.25 billion of costs uh, during uh, fiscal 2017. And the fact that earnings are still declining, um, or at least stable, is not good news, because it means that all of those cost cuts basically went to offset the sales declines, which brings up the question, well, where are is Sears going to find additional cost cuts of that magnitude to offset the coming sales declines um, of 2018? Uh, and that's a, a pretty big unanswered question. Um, meanwhile, you're seeing more um, more store closures. Sears closed more than 100 stores in the first quarter. And in the last couple of months, Sears has announced additional store closures of more than 100 locations. And that's, so that's going to take Sears from... Uh, more than 1,400 locations at the beginning of 2017 to less than 800 by uh, mid-September. So, a really pretty shocking... Uh, That's jaw-dropping.
0: Yeah, that is uh, absolutely jaw-dropping. Yeah.
1: And, and what's the most disturbing is not not the store closures themselves, but the fact that uh, Sears will keep telling investors, uh, we've identified some stores that are not profitable, um, which we're going to close in order to improve our profitability. The stores close. The profitability doesn't actually improve, and that just goes to show that the the profitable stores are, you know, ever so steadily moving towards unprofitability. And so every year there's another crop of stores which have magically become unprofitable because of the sales declines and margin declines over the previous year. And so that's a really pretty bad situation. Now Sears stock has been pretty volatile. You've had had some big bounces um, over the past few months in addition to the longer-term decline. Uh, Some of the things that drove the gains for Sears stock were uh, they disclosed a $400 million uh, payment they got from Citigroup, uh, Citibank, which is their credit card partner. And that was a payment to extend uh, their existing partnership. They offer this uh, Shop Your Way credit card, which offers a, a variety of rewards. It's set up structured to be a little bit like the, the Costco credit card that uh, is also issued by Citibank. The difference is that lots and lots and lots of people shop a lot of Costco, and the same can't be said for Sears. And so <laughs> it's just it's a, a lookalike, but it's not nearly as successful. Uh, however, Citi did uh, make this payment to extend the agreement and also to buy out Sears' interest in some of those credit card accounts. And that definitely was helpful because it is is giving a cash infusion that will keep the company alive for a little bit longer. However, Sears burned almost two billion dollars of cash last year, and Sears seems to be on track um, towards uh, a similar level of cash burn in 2018. um, Before possibly having a a little bit of improvement in 2019, the problem is that over the past several years, Sears had a huge number of assets that it could sell to fill the gap um, and pay for its operating losses. And it's really running out of assets to sell at this point. Uh, The company does own a bunch of real estate. It owns that Kenmore uh, appliance brand that it's looking to sell. Sears is also looking to sell um, parts of its home services unit. And uh, ESL Investments, which is Eddie Lampert, the CEO's hedge fund. Uh, He he runs a hedge fund in addition to running Sears Holdings. ESL has announced that it's interested in buying some of these assets. The problem for Sears is that almost all of its valuable assets are now encumbered in some way. That means that they're being used as collateral, either to support its debt or support its pension obligation. And Sears has over five billion dollars of debt and a pension deficit of more than one billion dollars. So there's really a lot of uh, of money that's uh, being called for by these different uh, commitments that Sears has made over the past few years. So the result is that even if Sears does manage to sell all these assets. A lot of the proceeds will need to go to paying down the debt, uh, contributing it to the pension plan, and that won't leave a lot to uh, to plug further gaps in uh, in its operating losses. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I think it's going to you know pretty difficult for Sears to survive past uh, you know past late nine, 2019 or early 2020. The company does seem to have enough liquidity to make it to the end of this year, uh, but it's it's definitely confronting a problem and that. Uh, There's no clear solution just because the underlying retail business has become so bad. It's just in in terminal decline at this point.
0: Yeah, and this is... A situation too, especially with some of those commitments that you mentioned, where it's like, what options really does the company have? They have these significant liabilities, really stripping them also in terms, long term, in terms of strategy, of the ability to do any investing in online infrastructure, fulfillment capabilities, uh, private brands, all these other initiatives that we talked about earlier with some of the stronger competitors. You know, you know, we seem to kind of give Dillard's a knock because they're not spending as much in invest or investing as much as Macy's and Kohl's relative to their size. And here, you know, this is the complete opposite. I feel like Sears is running in the complete opposite direction and they really have, as this yeah, continues. No, it's,
1: it's absolutely true. I mean, yeah. Sears is, you know, if you, even if you just go back a couple of years, Sears was bigger than uh, almost all of these other companies and was spending even less money than Dillard's on CapEx, not because of a strategy, simply because it didn't have money to spend. So it, it you know, it cut costs to the bone. As a survival strategy, but it was really only a short-term survival strategy, not something that could drive a sustainable turnaround.
0: Okay, all right. Well, we have about a minute left, and I'll leave you with one more question. And that's for uh, for investors in this space or people who are looking in this space. Is there anything coming up in the nec- uh in the rest of 2018 and, or f- even further out that you're really kind of following, keeping an eye out for um, in terms of the department uh, store space?
1: I'm really interested to see what happens in the second half of 2018, looking at the sales and earnings trends at these companies, and uh, and particularly for Kohl's and Macy's. Um, the main reason why is that if you go back uh, last year, that's roughly when the sales turnarounds began, so they're going to start facing harder comparisons, particularly in the fourth quarter. So the question is, can these companies maintain sales growth on top of last year's sales growth? Um, the uh, so a connected question to that is, right around the same time, uh, getting into the second half of this year, these companies will start benefiting from the bankruptcy and liquidation of um, some competitors, like uh, particularly Bonton, uh, which was this a regional department store operator in the Northeast and the Midwest. Um, also, to some extent, Toys R Us, uh, which is you know also filing you know filed for liquidation and is closing all of its stores. So it's a big question of whether um, these chains can capitalize on the disappearance of these competitors to uh, to make sales gains at their expense.
0: Okay. Alright. Well, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me on again.
0: Alright. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening, Fools. See you next week.